Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, September 27th, as we are streaming this episode live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. On this episode, we will recap the last home series of 2018 as the White Sox won one out of three games against the Cleveland Indians. We'll preview the last series of 2018 as the White Sox head to Minneapolis for four games in three days against the Minnesota Twins. And we'll also chat about the exciting race that's going on in the National League. But first, General Manager Rick Hahn spoke with the Chicago media about the 2018 season on Wednesday and maybe gave clues on what he plans for to happen during the offseason. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of ZoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. You wrote about Han soundbites today on ZoxMachine.com, and I think I agree with you disagreeing with Han when he says, quote, we're certainly closer now than we were 12 months ago to being ready to contend, end quote. How much progress has been made for this season? I think there's been some. I just think that if Han is correct that the White Sox are notably closer to contending than they looked entering the season, I think it's not something we're going to know till like May or June just because um, this year the hope is that, you know, like a year like Yohan Moncada is having where there have been some bright spots, but there have also been um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of frustration and 
potentially fatal flaws that he has to negotiate. Same thing with Lucas Giolito, how he's had up and ups and downs. And every time you think that he's figured something out, he, you know, whatever reason stops working or he loses it, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, just it's the hope is that the White Sox, you know, needed this to happen. I think in Moncada's case, he did need to have his flaws worked out at the major league level. So I guess in that case, you can say like, well, you know, if it's a necessary thing to get out of the way, they've gotten out of the way. But in order to, I guess, be confident that they've gotten out of the way, they need to show that they've moved past it. And that won't happen for another you know, couple baseball months. Was it necessary, though? Because it would have been great if Mikata had a similar season. Like, oh, I don't know which young prospect you want to pick out of the litter. Acuna, Juan Soto, Glaber Torres, yeah, Miguel I, Andujar. Yeah, I think with Mankata, though, he had the, the contact issues and a switch hitter. And I think just both of those having two uneven swings, you know, the right-handed hitting was going to be a problem for him. Uh, they needed to work out and just, you know, the 30% strikeout rate in Charlotte. I think that was a, uh, you know, he had a 30% strikeout rate, but he was too productive at AAA for him to learn from it. You know, if you strike out once a game and, um, but also, you know, go two for four with an extra base hit, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But I think when you have these prolonged outages where you rack up three strikeout games in a row, it does kind of, uh, you know, become, I guess, more teachable. So, you know, that's my argument there. I think with somebody like Eloy Jimenez, who has, you know, um, you know, maybe strikes out 16, 17%, you know, like a, an eminently reasonable strikeout rate for like a contact hitter, much less a, a great power hitter like Jimenez is. I think if he came up and had a year like Moncada, you know, if he comes up, say, say if he came up in July and he had like a, a you know, wobbly August and September, you know, he could shrug it off. But I think like over the course of like his first prolonged exposure, I wouldn't expect him to have the kind of struggles that Mankata had. I think Mankata is kind of like Avi Garcia. Just Avi Garcia is another guy who could just be too talented, too much of a uh, physical freak for AAA, and whatever polishing needed to be done needed to be done, I guess, with a lot of failure involved. Well, I hope Mankata has a better career than Avisil Garcia, at least a healthier one for sure. Uh, yeah. Speaking as far as health, Han did touch on some topics, including Jose Abreu's not coming back. For the rest of the year, his season is over with, which is a bit disappointing, uh, especially with him missing so much action in the month of September. Didn't get a chance to continue to chase his 25 home runs and 100 RBI pace that he's had in his career. But we'll see if he could pick up on that going into 2019. I'm still I find it curious whenever anybody asks about the long term status for Avi and Abreu, Jim, because Rick Hahn keeps going back to. We don't have to make a decision on that yet, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess technically he's right, but he's going to be entering arbitration with both of them for the final time under team control. So that moment has to come, right? Or is he alluding to the fact of we'll make up our mind after 2019? Probably more towards that. You know, maybe there's something in spring training. Um, yeah, that's another popular time for extensions to be reached. Um, but I think with, you know, both cases, I think Avi's just, you know, given, given his year this year and his, his track record, staying healthy and the fact that he's only had, you know, one good year out of, uh, four, uh, with the White Sox and then any kind of, uh, you know, meaningful playing time. Um, you know, it's just, I, I think Avi just don't know what you're going to get by the end of it. And so there's no use in rushing into a commitment. So I think that one is more open-ended. I think with Abreu, probably more of a matter of, you know, given how the, you know, they're already paying, you know, pretty close to market rate, I think, for Abreu. Um, you know, there's that to consider. And, you know, the fact that he's 31 is, you know, um, 
I, I think he's a hitter who can age well, but I think when you get to, you know, a 31-year-old Abreu and the fact that, you know, 30-year-olds, especially 30-year-olds um, who aren't um, up-the-middle players, you know, with speed or any kind of, you know, um, I guess leg-based um, value that, you know, can help him uh, stretch some value and it's not just all hitting I think it's more difficult for somebody like him to get like a, a huge amount of interest from the outside. So I think, you know, maybe in this newer market, um, there's no rush because if he goes to free agency, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, how many teams are going to be bidding against for say a three or four year deal? It may not be that many anymore. Yeah. It, again, it'd be interesting. It just, I find it curious because it's like, well, Rick, you're getting to that point. Uh, <laughs> you're getting at least another year from now, uh, you'll have to make up your mind on what you want to do. With both of them, or maybe both players will have their minds made up and they're ready to move on from the White Sox and join somebody else. We'll see. The other thing was the coaching staff. And Han, when asked about if there's going to be any changes with the coaching staff, obviously other teams can pluck coaches from the White Sox if they are looking for a new manager. There's going to be a lot of teams, it seems like already, that have openings for the managerial positions. Jim, as you mentioned in your column this morning, Joe McEwing is interviewed for other managerial positions. Uh, maybe he will be a candidate. We don't know. But if nobody gets plucked away, the expectation is everyone's coming back as everyone is under contract for 2019. Personally, Jim, I think the White Sox could use a different voice helping the hitters. Do you like the idea of Han retaining everyone from the dugout? No, I mean, when it comes to hitting coaches, I've been writing about this for so long with so many hitting coaches that I don't really know what goes into a good hitting coach or a bad one. And so I just don't really have a lot of feelings about it either way. You know, they could get away with, you know, I think changing it up. I think it would be, you know, a good message and and for the fans just kind of show that, yeah, that was kind of unwatchable, this offense for large stretches of time and it's not really working. But at the same time, just, you know, um, I, I don't know what would make a good one. And, you know, Steverson had good quotes when they brought him in and he had a good track record and it was extensive interview process. And he came from an organization that valued on base percentage and, you know, everything there just kind of lined up. It's like, oh, this should be good. This is more extensive than they've usually done. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, no scary quotes like Jeff Manto, you know, his kind of weird math when it came to hitting and um, dismissal of, you know, patience. And I think, you know, Steverson aggressive in the zone. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's perfect. Um, you know, aggressive for pitches they can hit, not being passive. Great. Um, but I, I think when it comes to, you know, replacing them, you know, it, it's just gonna be the same thing where it's just going to be ultimately the quality of the talent brought in. And the fact that guys have not gone from the White Sox organization to other teams and had remarkably different careers, you know, kind of makes me think that, you know, it's, you know, most of it is just how the talent is acquired and not so much with the game planning. But, um, yeah, that's that's why I can't really get uh, too worked up about either way, even though, you know, I don't think Steverson has really proven himself to be special in any way. And, you know, they could move on largely consequence, consequence-free. It did bug me, though, in the home finale against the Cleveland Indians, the White Sox, as the team struck out six times looking. Yeah. It, it just hopefully doesn't continue and that becomes a trend in 2019 that – these guys are just they're I know he wants them to be aggressive in the zone. They're not being aggressive in the zone. And they're not getting on pace and they're not, you know, reducing amount, as far as amount of strikeouts. And this isn't his first season. You know, he's been with the White Sox what four or five seasons already. We're not seeing progress. I don't know. That's just my take that. I I understand where you are coming from, Jim, and 
the things that you touch on, and yes, it's it's hard to decipher the impact that hitting coaches have. But based on this year's results, and especially for the key young hitters like working with you on Mikata, I, I'm just not seeing that progress, and I'd like to see a different voice. But it sounds like Steverson will be coming back for the 2019 season. Hopefully, hopefully the hitters can get back on track and the White Sox can work on at least trying to be a league average offense. Now, I think the biggest takeaway from Hans Presser from this week is that maybe he gave us a clue on what he is thinking about doing this upcoming offseason as he addressed the pitching staff. From Rick Hahn, quote, From a pitching standpoint, we are going to have some additions, end quote. Talk about those three fellows at the front with Lopez and Giulio and Rodon, and while Dylan Covey has done a very fine job as an option for us going forward, we are going to need some alternatives both in the rotation and in the bullpen, end quote. Uh, sorry, Dylan Covey, you do not get a vote of confidence uh, from Rick Hahn uh, <laughs> moving forward to becoming a starting pitcher in 2019. Uh, but there are some White Sox fans, Jim, that approaching this offseason, they like the team to make some bold moves this offseason. And obviously the popular target is Manny Machado. Well, instead of Machado, what if, and I'm just throwing this out there, the White Sox throw some serious cash at, say, starting pitchers Patrick Corbin or Dallas Keuchel. Is that a more likely route after Hans' comments? Well, you know, it's with with Corbin. You know, he seems like he's going to be the top pitcher on the market. Um, you know, they they haven't really shown the appetite even beforehand, and, and relative to um, you know their amount of the, the amount they've invested in free agent pitchers before they just don't seem to compete at the top end of pitcher markets where it involves giving five years to an arm and i think you know largely they've been proven correct to be hesitant to do so you know just pitchers don't necessarily age that well so i think they like to err on this or not error but just prefer to try to acquire young pitchers and um you know develop them into something you know work them up into something rather than you know pin their hopes on you know, a nine figure pitcher or like, uh, I guess an eight figure pitcher, um, you know, annually, you know, trying to get the job done. So I, I think, uh, it strikes me as unlikely for somebody like Corbin or Keuchel, especially Keuchel being on the older side, Corbin is more interesting to me just because he does seem like he has figured something out with that slider and it's nasty. So I, you know, I like that. I like the idea and I don't mind it. Um, um, but I just have a hard time imagining the White Sox. I think if they're going to pony up, I think it would be on the hitter side rather than the pitcher side. Hmm. Well, they do need to address the starting pitching staff, though. Yeah. Yep. They're going to have to add two guys, or they are going to have to be creative on the way that they handle James Shields. Because, you know, you know, looking forward, I'm going to be really excited to see the offseason plan projects because my mind has changed. I thought after Kopech's injury, the White Sox wouldn't be active because what's the point? Um, but you know, with this team, because I just thought the team wasn't going to be good in 2019 and they probably still won't be. But if, if Han is serious and he does back up the cash truck and he gets some key guys and convince them like the Cubs did with John Lester after their bad season and then Lester helped him really bounce back and get it to the postseason in 2015, uh, you know, maybe some expectations could be adjusted for 2019. Maybe it won't be a total loss for the White Sox and perhaps they could be that dark horse that we've been hoping to see from them in the last five years. Uh, But, you know, again, Han will need to find two starting pitchers though. If he doesn't plan on picking up Shields option, 
which James Shields' option is for $16 million. The buyout is $2 million, but San Diego agreed to pay the buyout if the White Sox activate that. So it literally costs the White Sox no money to decline Shields' option, and maybe they could renegotiate, I don't know, after some time has passed with Shields uh, to bring it back if Shields is even interested. Again, when he was a free agent last time, it was important for him to go back home to Southern California, and maybe he wants to pitch for a contender and one last chance to win a World Series. I don't know, but the White Sox do have some two holes in the starting rotation, and I figure that you know if they're serious about spending money, I don't. I don't think Jim. It's the worst idea in the world to go after someone like Patrick Corbin or Dallas Keuchel, just because. While yes, the White Sox have a lot of pitching prospects, can we trust them to one stay healthy and two to perform? Yeah, no, I think Han touched on that. I think maybe it was uh, James Fegan, uh, if I recognize the voice from the uh, media conference, who asked him about. Um, you know, with Kopech going down and with Hanson having his struggles and, you know, talking about different areas of depth, you know, he, uh, Han seemed to draw a distinction between, you know, acquiring outfielders versus acquiring pitchers at this point, you know, given all the interesting outfielders at double A and, you know, potentially triple A, you know, talking about Jimenez and Basabe uh, and uh, Robert, theoretically, if he can stay healthy and maybe make something of the Arizona Fall League and you can have a bunch of these guys just kind of, you know, surging. Um, you might not want to load up the outfield with a guy who's around for eight years if Jimenez is in one corner. And, um, yeah, you just want to be careful about what kind of player you acquire for the outfield. Whereas with pitchers, it seems like, you know, a lot more can go wrong, whether it's, um, you know, injury or whether it's just something, you know, nagging delivery-wise, they can't straighten out and just, you know, they're better off in the bullpen. So it did seem like he was more inclined to spend. And I would like to see him, you know, check out Corbin, assuming, you know, he's through the year okay and, um you know, the, I guess the medical stuff checks out and everything, you know, if he's fully operational, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see it. I just wonder if the White Sox have the stomach for pitchers specifically, given, you know, when, uh, before the market got crazy, it seemed like they were okay with going longer for position players, but it really took them a while to go over three years for a pitcher and then mm-hmm. over four. And none of those have really worked out. I mean, like when you have Scott Linebring for four, and, uh, you know, John Danks for five, you know, there's the biggest expenditures pitching wise. Um, it seems like they've been burned so far when they've gone over their comfort level with pitchers. And yeah, I can, I can understand them being hesitant, but if you got two spots, you got to fill and you need some innings out of these two spots. I just don't know if dumpster diving is the way to go. You know, it didn't work with Miguel Gonzalez. Uh, I guess it kind of worked with Derek Holland. I mean, he led the team in 2017 in innings pitched at 135, but that's not very good. I just, I, I don't know about, it's so risky to go dumpster diving to fill two spots in the rotation. Yeah, no, I think one spot would be, um, you know, fine for experimenting. And I think, you know, Kofi probably, you know, I, I think ideally he starts the season in the bullpen, but it does make sense to keep him stretched out especially spring training. You don't know exactly what you're breaking camp with and, you know, who's healthy. I think it makes sense for him to start the season, you know, pitching every five or six days, you know, getting stretched out for multiple innings in the event, something happens and he has to step up, you know, he's available, but ultimately I think he's going to be a uh, bullpen guy, maybe serving like the Hector Santiago role, although theater, given how well Santiago's pitched recently in this kind of uh, multiple inning, you know, 
not, I guess you would call it high leverage for early innings, but want to keep it close, but also need to cover multiple innings. Um, he's been effective in that role and I could see him coming back and being a team player, but ultimately uh, it seems like, uh, you know, a, somebody, a more bona fide starting prospect uh, or, or starting pitcher acquisition would be needed. We're going to have lengthier conversations about these topics heading into October on the Sox Machine podcast. But again, these are just good things to start thinking about and generating ideas because, again, look forward to the Sox Machine offseason plan project where you guys get the opportunity to be the White Sox GM and let us know what moves you would make if you're running the White Sox this upcoming offseason to either continue as far as the rebuild or try to go from a low 60s win team to the postseason in 2019. Well, moving on, let's briefly talk about the Indian series as it was the last home series for the White Sox. They won one out of three. They lost a home finale, kind of an embarrassing performance. The White Sox got smoked 10 to 2. But the second game in the series, the White Sox walked out to Cleveland Indians, scoring three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning with Daniel Polka being the hero again. And James Shields in that game reached the 200-inning mark for the 10th time in his career. We talked about Shields, and I don't think the White Sox are going to pick up that option, Jim. But where do you think his career takes on from here as far as after this season? What do you think the future holds for James Shields? I think he's somebody who could get like a you know, Miguel Gonzalez type deal or Derek Holland type deal one year, six million. And you see what Edwin Jackson's doing with the A's. Uh, you can't write off the, um, you know, when you can't write off a veteran who wants to pitch. And I think if Shields wants to pitch and, and has shown the ability to do so, you know, keep finding work because he does seem like be that well-respected veteran that fits on, I would say any staff, but most staffs. Um, and also, you know, like, you mentioned South, uh, Southern California a team like the angels, a team so starved for starting pitching innings over the years. It seems like, you know, that would be the kind of team where just looking for, you know, still kind of holding on to the idea of contending um, as long as they have trout and Otani, you know, although he's going to, for Tommy John surgery, but maybe he's back for half the season and Upton, you know, they have some big contracts who aren't going where need innings. I could see him you know, going there for, um, you know, a, a shot at contending, um, also a shot of giving a team innings that desperately needs it. Um, but I, I think with the White Sox, I'm a little bit, you know, given the, uh, experience with Gonzalez kind of bringing back a low ceiling pitcher who, uh, you know, might, um, you know, if he's, if he's good, he'll be kind of a uh, slightly below average, but give a lot of innings. If he's bad, he'll be unrosterable. And I think with that, I kind of don't like the uh, risk reward enough. I think I'd rather have somebody, you know, even though Holland didn't work out along the lines of not too far removed from his best and, uh, you know, can maybe be whipped back into shape. Um, I, I think I'd rather go with somebody like that, even if he's equally or more likely to fail for that, you know, I guess that second pitcher spot we're talking about. Daniel Polka. Again, I mentioned that he was the hero. He had the walk-off two-run single in the second game of the year. And he's just clutch in the ninth inning. Whether or not you believe in clutch at all, Daniel Polka performs well in the ninth inning. And Fangraphs actually has a stat called clutch in which they use to measure in how well a player performs in high leverage situations. First overall in Major League Baseball is Glaber Torres for the New York Yankees. But Polka ranks 16th in all of Major League Baseball. So pretty high out of all the hitters in baseball this year as far as being clutch. Uh, but Jim, it does bring back conversations we had last year where we were pretty excited about Nicky Domonico 
Are we going to see Polka's story play out just like DeMonico, who really disappointed in 2018? It could, just because of the similarities, you know, age experience. Um, I guess the, the the flash in the pan risk is there. But I think with in Polka's favor, um, he's got his tools are louder. Like the tools that work for him are louder. The power is loud. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's among the tops in the game just for raw strength. And, you know, in games, you know, it does show up. I think with Delmonico, you know, it was a matter of, being a well-rounded hitter, but not particularly scary. Um, so, I mean, like he could just be pitched to, and, you know, I guess when the ball is flying out more, you know, perhaps, you know, he benefited from some of that and, you know, the that power didn't show up. So when he's not hitting the ball out of the yard and his flies are kind of dying just short of the warning track, you just got to keep going after him, basically. And uh, he's not kind of proven to be a... You know, the hit tool is okay, the eye is okay, but just whatever reason, maybe the contact, shape of the contact, um, you know, the quality of it, the fact that he's not an all-fields hitter, you know, just, I think, uh, just kind of, I guess, limits his um, effectiveness. And I think with Polka, you know, he's just got the power and he's he's got the uneven platoon splits, which also Delmonico didn't have. Like, you can put him against righties uh, and have a chance of hitting the ball of the yard. I don't think Delmonico offers that. So I think that's one thing that separates them and potentially keeps Polka useful for longer. And, you know, there's always a chance, too, that he adjusts. You know, he the hit tool gets a bit better. He's not so jumpy at breaking balls and, and can't be so easily exploited by, uh, um, you yeah, over swinging, swinging over the top of, you know, soft stuff early in counts. Um, you know, there's, there's a potential to learn there. So I think the fact that he's succeeding the way he is, he's... Um, you know, he, he's shown uh, no fear of big situations and being picked on, which I think the Indians were kind of doing with Carrasco, thinking that they could exploit him three times in a row. He learned. Um, I, I don't mind having him take the winner, see if he's learned anything, you know, and see if there's anything he can change to shape up his hit tool and, and be a little less vulnerable to soft stuff and maybe comes back just a little bit more well, well-rounded to supplement that power. Well, before we preview the last series of 2018 as the White Sox head up north to face the Minnesota Twins, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust, and that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Every purchase is fully guaranteed with SeatGeek, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence, and you can make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports, concerts, to comedy, and theater. And I use SeatGeek all of the time to buy White Sox tickets, and you could definitely find some great deals right now in Chicago Bears tickets. I know they're hot. Everyone's excited about them, but the Blackhawks are going to be starting up pretty soon, and so will the Chicago Bulls when the winter comes around. And best of all, our listeners get to save $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. And like I said, now on to the final series for the Chicago White Sox in 2018 as they head up to Minneapolis to face the Twins. The Twins this year are 73-84, and 84. they're 44-32 and 32 at home. And this is a four games in three days as the White Sox and Twins will finally make up one of the missed games 
all the way back in April. On Friday, it is the doubleheader. Starting at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Jose Barreos. On on Friday still, at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against Chase DeYoung. On Saturday, at 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Carlos Rodon against Kyle Gibson. And on Sunday... Every game on Sunday starts at the same time at 2.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Dylan Covey against Zach Lytle. One last series to go, Jim. What are you hoping to see from the White Sox this final weekend? Well, if I'm being selfish, I want to see them win one out of four so I can at least get my second half prediction correct. I think I had them at 30 and 37, so they finished with 63 wins. So selfishly, I would like to see that bear out. But uh, being... Uh, generous, generous of spirit and heart. I think I will say that uh, Lopez finishing strong. I think, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have at least him to build on, given all these inconsistent performances and and outages and and kind of existential crises that all these, you know, former prospects have um, created in their first full year. I think Lopez has shown the most and be nice to have him end on a triumphant note, just being like, you know, my, it's not just a hot September. It has roots back in August and, you know, uh, thumbs up <laughs> uh, onward and upward. I think Giolito is the you know, same thing, but one start won't really seal uh, much for him. I think it's just more a matter of, you know, he's always been inconsistent with the White Sox. So one start won't say as much. And then Rodon just, it's been rough for him. And I think part of it is just, you know, um, you know, getting through this year and hopefully having the kind of off season, you know, normal off season where he can, throw you know getting a throwing program without uh fear and you know, get into spring training and not have any kind of weird questions about his status that'd be kind of nice i think rodan ending on a high note would be nice but ultimately just more a matter of him getting to the offseason healthy if the white Sox only win one out of these four games they will clinch a top five pick in next year's draft as the detroit tigers are two games ahead of the white Sox. And if the White White Sox need to win at least two games to catch the Tigers, and if the White Sox and Tigers finish with the same record, Detroit will pick ahead of the White Sox because, again, Detroit had the worst record in 2017, and the team that has the worst record from the previous year gets to pick ahead of the other team in the Major League Baseball draft. That seems like, you know, if we're concerned about tanking, that seemed like something that could, you know, be uh, one thing to tweak. Deterrent? Yeah, like you say, yeah, say if you have the uh, same record, the team with the worst record the year before, you know, should they be rewarded for having a bad year if everybody's going, you know, everybody's going for the, you know, worst overall record, you know, if it's within reach. I like the lottery idea, like the NBA has. Take the top, take the bottom 10 teams, you know, sort out who, how many balls each team gets, throw it in the lottery machine and just pick teams out of the bucket. Yeah. And and that's your top 10. I think repeat offenders, I think, bother me more than, say, like just one team having an awful year, everything going against them. But when you have like a team like the Phillies or something that picking top five, five years in a row, it seems like, yeah, you know, they have money to spend. <laughs> you know, they can get better. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, it's that, that situation seems weird to me where a team can just be rewarded again and again with these pool money you know, for. True. I just don't have a solution. I don't have an idea on how to prevent teams from tanking because I just feel like they're going to continue to do it because it seems like if you don't have a team that can finish in first place, you want to finish in last. Yeah. I would hope a team like the, I would hope stories like the Brewers and the A's 
uh, neither team doing a hard tank. You know, the, the A's are, have always been weird. I think Billy Beaner, I forget who, where I was listening to it. They describe, you know, he describes his team as transactional. You know, it's not a team that tanks. It's a team that has kind of ebbs and flows based on payroll, but they build not by drafting or by, you know, these, these massive international classes, but more by swapping kind of like the paperclip into a house deal. I think they're like kind of like uh, approaching the team like that. And the Brewers didn't really have that huge step back either uh, where they just, you know, sold everything and went for the worst. So, yeah, I hope teams like those kind of inspire and maybe even the Rays too, uh, given, you know, how inventive they've been even uh, with their uh, not quite tanking, but also trading off their best players for little on paper, but it's worked out for them. But I, I hope stories like that kind of show that you don't have to, collapse and and just make it all terrible for multiple years and i think uh it just does a disservice to a lot more people than you know you, you hear about the astros and cubs but then there's also the phillies and uh you know the royals for years and twins you know taking a long time to get together and everything like that where it doesn't really work out as seamlessly well you mentioned the phillies the phillies just got swept by the colorado rockies before we started streaming here the phillies may not finish above 500 despite the season that they were having despite being a playoff contender for the majority of the season they have lost eight straight games Jim yeah uh, and unfortunately it looks like Philadelphia will finish below 500 but the Colorado Rockies have won seven games in a row and we are recording this as the Cubs and Pirates are currently playing and this is the last thing I want to touch on with the show because, again, every game on Sunday starts at 2.10 p.m. Central Time, and I think that's going to be key because there's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching, especially in the National League. The Cubs, after tonight's game against the Pirates, will either be one game ahead or tied with the Milwaukee Brewers for the National League Central lead going into the final weekend. The Cubs will be at home, but they're going to be facing the St. Louis Cardinals, who are fighting for their playoff life after getting swept by the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Milwaukee Brewers are facing the Detroit Tigers <laughs> at home. What a way to great timing to have an interleague series as the final series of the season. Meanwhile, in the National League West, as the Rockies again beat the Phillies, they are now one game ahead of the Dodgers. The Dodgers will be going to San Francisco to finish the season while the Rockies are at home, but they're going to be facing the Washington Nationals, who've been playing a lot better baseball as of late. St. Louis is one game behind the Dodgers for the final wild card. So this is madness. And I think this is what everybody wants to see at the end of a major league season. Cubs and Brewers are going for the National League Central. The loser of that race is going to be the wild card. And you have Colorado, Los Angeles battling for the National League West. And the Rockies, Dodgers, and Cardinals, they're battling for last two spots. So unfortunately, one of those three teams is not going to make it to the postseason and if I were a Cubs fan, Jim, I'd be worried because it is possible that they will not win the National League Central. The Brewers will overtake them. And if that does happen, there could be the real possibility where the Cubs are playing at home, but they're going up against the Dodgers in a one-game playoff. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, It seems like this is the kind of finish that they're trying to manufacture on a regular basis after they had that one awesome year where every game mattered in the last day of the season. And they're kind of playing three games at the same time where, you know, kind of, I remember watching on three different screens, just following three different games. And that was cool. And I think this is kind of what the two wild card format had in mind was having far more teams involved. And especially in this kind of situation where 
teams are trying for the division. I think, you know, it makes a huge difference for the Cubs and Brewers, <laughs> you know, having that division. I think especially in the West too, you know, you have the Rockies who are, uh, and, and Dodgers and the, and the Cardinals kind of being a wrench in it. Yeah, I was hoping f- more from St. Louis because they're my uh, they're gonna make me look smart. But I, I think uh, you know having that kind of um, s- final series of the season where you know, you're playing for the division or you cannot make the playoffs at all. I think it kind of brings an old school feel to it. You know, back to the two division thing where you could have a great season and miss the playoffs. You could, especially like say the American league where you can go 95, you can win 95 games, and miss the playoffs. That that's how it used to be. Um, you know, when he only had uh, two division winners making it. So kind of has that feel, you know, of, of stakes and having these great seasons go for naught. And I kind of miss that and kind of glad to see it. It'd be very weird if the Dodgers who acquired Manny Machado during the all-star break, don't make it to the playoffs, especially at the run differential. You know, I'm looking at the standings. They have 170. They're they're up 170 in run differential. The Rockies are up 33. <laughs> well, the Rockies helped their case with run differential during this winning streak. Their seven game winning streak. They're outscoring their opponents 52 to 10. They are red hot. So so yeah, that's right. It was uh, they they were behind in run differential before this started. Right, and now they are. In the lead by a game. It would be very interesting to see on how it plays out. And that will do it for this last episode of Socks Machine Live. Thank you guys so much during the season listening to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Socks Machine. The podcast will continue as far as throughout the month of October on Mondays. But there unfortunately won't be any more series to recap and preview during the midweek as we finally got to that point of 2018 but i'm greatly appreciative of you guys listening to the live stream or listening to the recording of each episode during the season we'll be bringing this show back again for the 2019 major league baseball season but again thank you very much for listening and if you just discovered the socks machine podcast you can subscribe to our show in a variety of ways one is itunes another is spotify google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash socks machine Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.